please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. The first rest occurred on the seventh day, a day which is significantly different. Having formed the heavens and the earth and then having filled the heavens and the earth, now on the seventh day, the work of creation culminates rather strangely, it appears to some, in a day of rest for God. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. The seventh day is significantly different from the first six days of creation for several reasons. Number one, the seventh day of creation did not have the usual creative formula and God said because there was no creative work done on the seventh day. Secondly, the seventh day did not have the usual closing refrain, and the evening and the morning were to uh, indicate the day's end. Thirdly, the seventh day was the only day to be blessed and sanctified, that is, made holy by God. And fourthly, unlike the six creative days, the number of the day seventh is repeated three times. Now this is given dramatic significance because verses 2 and 3 contain four lines. It's almost like Hebrew poetry. And the first three lines are parallel, each having seven words in the Hebrew text with the midpoint of each of those three lines being the phrase, the seventh day. I put it for, on the outline sheet for you, literally, word for word, as it would uh, be translated from the Hebrew into English. First line, so God finished by the seventh day his work which he did. Second line, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he did. Third line, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Fourth line, because on it he rested from all his work that God created to do. The seventh day stands apart in solitary grandeur as a crown to the six days of creation. It has immense significance. Not only is God telling us here that the concept of a Sabbath day is central but he's also telling us that the concept of a Sabbath day is also foundational to God's plan for man. Now you notice that the word Sabbath isn't found in these verses. But Moses is writing about the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. The phrase the seventh day is mentioned three times in verses 2 and 3. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease working or to rest. And it's actually related to the Hebrew word for seven. 
So on the seventh day, we are told that God rests. Why did God rest? Why did God rest? Certainly it wasn't from fatigue. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 tells us that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. God doesn't get tired. The more we understand the nature of the physical universe, the more we see that the material use is merely an expression of the boundless energy of God. Every material object in the universe is composed of atoms, boundless, pure energy. Energy passing into motion, motion passing into phenomena. Obviously, the God who can create more universes than we can count and can lock up incredible energy just in a tiny little atom, so much energy as to explode an island, obviously a God who can do all that doesn't get tired. Omnipotence needs no rest because regardless of the creative power that comes forth from him, his own being is not diminished in power one little bit. God's omnipotent creative power is infinite. He doesn't need a rest. He doesn't need a breather. Actually, the word rest means to cease from. God simply stopped his creating activity. In fact, though God rested, he ceased his creating activity. The truth is that God still worked. Jesus said this when he healed that crippled man on the Sabbath day. He said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. God rested from creating. But his work of sustaining. And his work of governing by providence. And his work of providing redemption. I mean, what a mighty work that is. God's work of creation has ceased, but God continues to work. In fact, if God stopped working, everything would. Why did God rest from his creative work? Let me put four questions to you. Four reasons, beg your pardon, four reasons. Number one, because creation was complete. Verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the hosts of them. Verses 1 through 3, four times it it emphasized that God finished his work, brought it to an end, his creative work. And three times it's emphasized that this includes all of his creative work. It is finished. Is the word that rang out more or less at the end of creation. Even as at the cross. Jesus said it is finished when he spoke about the work of redemption. The first three days of forming the creation, the concluding three days of filling the creation, capped with the creation of man left, there was nothing lacking. There was nothing lacking. Not only was the creation complete, but God the creator was content. Verses 2 and 3. If we go back to verse 31, all that God made was worthy of praise. 
As such, he gave it his highest commendation. It was very good. The earth spun perfectly in its orbit around the sun in a majestic 24-hour rotation. This very, very well-ordered planet swarming with life was a joy for the Creator to behold. And so God rests in the sense that he's satisfied with his completed work. As much as like a master artist is satisfied as he puts the finishing touches on his masterpiece. Nothing can be added to what the creator has done. No one can, no one can keep his created work from fulfilling the purpose that he has for it. So the statement that God rested on the Sabbath day tells us that God was satisfied with the creator universe. That it would fulfill his purpose. Well, we've got to ask the question, what was God's purpose for the Sabbath? Verse 3 helps us here. It says that God blessed it and God sanctified it. Okay, let's consider one of, each of these one at a time. In what way was the day blessed? Or in what way was the day to be a blessing? Okay, let's compare scripture with scripture here. Scripture helps us understand scripture. Fundamental to our understanding of God's, what God's purpose was for the Sabbath is understanding what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he faced a violation of the Sabbath principle. What did he say? Mark chapter 2 verse 27. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, God clearly had man in view. When he pronounced the seventh day blessed. Now this is not the first time that the word blessed occurs in scripture. There are two preceding blessings in this creation account. The first one, a blessing upon the living creatures, chapter 1 verse 22. And the second one upon Adam and Eve, chapter 1 verse 28. And both of those blessings bestow Vitality and abundance because in both instances God blessed them and went on to say in both instances be fruitful and multiply. And the meaning here is essentially the same but in the spiritual realm especially God's blessing bestowed upon this special day, this solemn day put within this day a power which makes human existence fruitful, makes human existence vibrant. The blessing gives the day, which was to be a day of rest, power to stimulate and animate and enrich, give fullness and abundance of life for man. So God blessed the day. He intended it to be a great blessing to man, be part of his abundant life experience. It was set aside as a special benefit and blessing to man. And also God sanctified the day. That means to set apart, to, means to make holy to set apart for a holy and sacred purpose. In other words, God also set the day apart for his use. If something's holy, it's dedicated to God. It's sacred, it belongs to God. It's a holy day, it belongs to God. It's, it's God's day. God has a claim on that day too. So God made it a blessing to man, but also he makes a claim on that day himself. Ten times in verses 2 and 3, God is mentioned either by name or by pronoun. As this to emphasize the fact over and over again that this is God's special day. This is God's 
Sabbath. Yes, it was given as a gift to man, but it was claimed by God. It was set apart by God for his use to achieve his and serve his purposes for man. The third reason why God rested on the Sabbath on the seventh day was to establish a pattern. A pattern for each week. Every seventh day was to be specially set apart from God for God as a blessing and a benefit to man. And we know this is the case. Because when we keep reading our Bibles, we come to Exodus chapter 16, we learn that the children of Israel were familiar with this Sabbath requirement even before they got to Mount Sinai. They knew the seventh day was a holy day. They knew that God expected them to rest on the seventh day. And so this first rest, this revelation of the Sabbath, suggests that man should imitate God and rest on a day, as God did, in satisfied contemplation of God's creative work, of God's creative power, of their relationship to God as their creator. But not only was God, did God do this to establish this weekly rhythm and pattern, God also did this to proclaim a priority. We know that God wanted this to be a priority for man because later on he extended it to the nation of Israel as part of his covenant law with them. Exodus chapter 20, we read this, that the seventh day actually became their fourth commandment. The Ten Commandments are things that God expected of people from day one. He's always expected those things of his creation, always will. And the fact that he codified it, wrote it down as the fourth commandment, it's not something new that was just invented, it's something that he's always expected of man. But he puts it in writing so they'll know very, very clearly. Exodus chapter 20, verses 10 to 11. This is what the Lord said. It's part of the Ten Commandments. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy man servant, nor thy maid servant, nor thy cattle, nor any stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, made it holy. But not only did God include it in their law, after the tabernacle was built, the Sabbath became a, a weekly observance which was actually a sign that this nation of Israel actually literally belonged to God. God had entered into a covenant relationship with them and the way that they knew that we're reminded of, and the way that everyone else looking on knew that was that these people, they observe a Sabbath day. It said we are the people of God. Now God also gave another sign of them being covenant people. That is the sign of circumcision. Circumcision. We can understand that's a very, very private thing. But observing the Sabbath, that's a very public thing. The nations round about 
could see this of them. That, hey, these are people who don't... There's one day when they don't work. One day that they devote to God. You might want to jot down these references. Exodus 31, 12 and 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Also verses 16 and 17. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. No other people had the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy tells us, Moses there rehearses the people. says, no other people on earth have laws like we do. This one in particular, it made them distinct. None but Israel had this blessed law. God meant them to be his particular people. And so the Sabbath persisted throughout the centuries as a covenantal sign of God's people. And so God established Israel's Sabbath rest, codified it, put it in their law, made it a sign and a symbol that they were in a special covenant relationship with him. Now we might ask the question, why should man rest? Why should man rest? So there's two obvious reasons. Number one, for physical refreshment and well-being. For man's well-being, for man's blessing, for man's benefit. For man to live a thriving and abundant life full of vitality. God ordained that in each week there be a day of rest. That's good for the body. But it's also good for the mind. Because through this God was implicitly instructing all humanity that there is more to life than work. After the fall, life became really, really hard and burdensome. The ground was cursed. It wasn't as productive as it was before. There were thorns and thistles to contend, in. contend with. Work was difficult. It became a weariness. Rest became a goal to be sought. And it was good for man to rest from his hard labour that does six days a week to have a day of rest to recover from the hard work of the week. Under slavery in Egypt, life was very hard, extraordinarily hard, hard labour, cruel bondage. And even after they were released, travelling in the wilderness was hard. Life was hard. And to such people, to such people, the Sabbath was a blessing. A day to rest. A day to recover, a day to recharge. But we have to ask this question. Why even before the fall was a whole day set aside as a Sabbath to the Lord? In the Garden of Eden, man was not yet under the oppressive labour that came after the fall. He didn't have to contend with physical infirmities and afflictions which came after the fall. He could rest each night and be refreshed. So why did he need a whole day to rest each week from his ordinary labours? 
Well, I think the answer may be found in that admonition that we receive from that well-known hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. The call for man to rest with God was a call for him to enter into the joyful satisfaction of relating to his creator God. To consider everything that God had made once again and to be reminded that God is my creator. And to grow in this relationship with God. You know, even in earthly relationships, it takes, t- it takes time to develop those. When you commune you with, with, with your most intimate friend, you absorb something of your friend's personality. Not only do you, do you see new dimensions about your friend's personality, but you also find yourself thinking in harmony with them and feeling in sympathy with them. And so it is with fellowship with the Lord. Each time we set aside time to commune with God, we learn a new dimension of his personality. We find ourselves entering into his joys and his sorrows. And this growing, developing relationship with God takes time. I think the words of the psalmist express this principle. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. In his word do I hope. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I'm sure there are lessons to learn about God as we work, you know, six days a week. But there is a growing knowledge of God and developing relationship with God, which happens as we rest from our work and we take the time to to be still. So even before the fall, the Sabbath served a vital purpose in man's development. By observing the Sabbath, resting from his normal works, man was reminded that time needs to be set aside to spend time with God, to vote to God, remember God, fellowship with God, commune with God. And after the fall, a dimension of... Salvation had to be included in that. God is the one who, I, who will save me. God is the one who will redeem me. God is the one who will forgive my sin. This became a, an, another aspect, element of, of what God's really, really like. And another reason to praise him all the more. Another reason to desire to be with such a God who created me and is also willing to redeem me. And in this connection, it is interesting that the Ten Commandments... Recorded in Exodus 20, but also repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The, <clears throat> the account in Exodus 20 talks about spending time with God, our creator. But when you come to Deuteronomy chapter 5, the emphasis there is spending on time with God, our, our redeemer. The one who redeemed them out of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out from thence with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath. Israel in Egypt had been cruelly overworked. They were forced to make bricks without straw. And Pharaoh only let them go when God wrought a mighty deliverance at the Passover. And with their redemption out of Egypt, The rest that they had been deprived of for hundreds of years 
now became their portion. And so on the Sabbath, each week as they rested, they were to thank God for the wonder of his creation, also to thank God for the marvel of their redemption. In other words, it wasn't just for their physical refreshment. It wasn't just for their physical well-being this Sabbath. It was also for their spiritual vitality. It afforded God's people with the time to meditate on God's creative work, but also on his redemptive work. On all of God's work, of all of God's word, of what kind of God is it? So powerful to do all of this and yet so loving to redeem us. It afforded them an opportunity to, to fellowship with God and to pray and to contemplate eternal things. Isaiah the prophet sang about this. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. He says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honourable, and shall honour him in not doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I'll cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. If you set my day aside as I have prescribed, it will be an occasion for you to delight yourself in the Lord. Clearly the prophets saw the Sabbath as essential to the spiritual health of the nation of Israel. Earlier in his ministry, Isaiah witnessed the fall of Israel and he was called upon to visit his beloved nation in the intensive care unit. He said her whole head is sick, her whole heart is faint. And what was, the, what was Isaiah's counsel at this desperate time? This is what he said. Thus saith the Lord, keep your judgments, do justice. For my salvation is come near and my righteousness shall be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold of it and keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. As a matter, so, so the situation is, you know, Israel's on life support. And the remedy, Isaiah says, the remedy will be get back to observing the Sabbath as God intended it. Don't violate it. Don't profane it. Get back to observing the Sabbath. This was the remedy for their spiritual condition. And so we have these two versions of the Ten Commandments. One given in Exodus, one given in Deuteronomy. Twofold meaning for the celebration of the Sabbath day. A celebration of God as creator on the one hand. Celebration as God as redeemer on the other. In this way, the Sabbath purpose was to bless God's people. To bless their bodies with the, the weekly rhythm of Genesis. And to bless their souls with the rhythm of heaven. Provide Israel with respite from their labours so they could come apart and focus on God and gratefully celebrate him as their creator and as their redeemer. Furthermore, this weekly day of rest became a, a foretaste of the rest that they would Enjoy as they entered into the promised land to claim their inheritance. That's their, the next point, Canaan rest. After the Exodus, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But finally, in the book of Judges, Joshua and the first chapter of Judges, we see them now entering into the promised land. 
and engaging in battles and driving out the enemy and the phrase which appears and reappears is this, and the land had rest. And the land had rest. Rest from battles. Rest following victory. Rest as an enjoyment of victory. There were periods of rest and peace. However, when they settled into the promised land, something happened. As with anything else with which man has to do, the Sabbath became distorted. And the Sabbath was destroyed. Instead of it being a day of rest, the Jews, with their genius for multiplying rituals, added to the Sabbath day over time. So many requirements, so many prohibitions, so many vain traditions that the day itself became an intolerable burden. The nation of Israel eventually declined spiritually, didn't observe God's laws, didn't observe the Sabbath day. Ultimately, they were punished for their disobedience. The northern kingdom was taken into Assyria. The southern kingdom was taken to Babylonia. And by the time of the ministry of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees had added so many traditions to the word of God. They turned the law and the Sabbath in particular into a religious bondage. You go back and study the law, just, there are very few prohibitions about the Sabbath day. Very few. But in Jesus' day, they had expanded it to thousands. Thousands of prohibitions, thousands of regulations. Jesus, of course, rejected their traditions. He even performed miracles on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for man, he says, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus also said another interesting thing in Matthew chapter 11. Instead of calling people back to the proper observance of the Sabbath day like Isaiah did, like the prophets did, Jesus called people to himself. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Jesus said, come unto me. All ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my burden is easy. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is like thee. The, the, the burden that the scribes and Pharisees put upon them was overwhelming. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Jesus came offering rest. Do you want rest? you want rest from the heavy burdens, trying to do all this stuff? Come to me. Rest from the traditions of men. Rest from the burden of trying to do everything that they require. Rest from all the works that even you are trying to do to fulfill God's law. Rest from the burden of constant failure. Rest for your soul. Rest, which is found in him and in his work for us. Just like God did with the work of creation and said, it is finished, calling us away from our work to rest in him. So Jesus does with the work of redemption. When he died upon the cross, he cries out, it is finished. And having completed the work that God gave him to do, having being buried and rising again on the third day, conquering sin and hell and death. Jesus now calls us away from our good works to enter into the work that he has done on our behalf. 
his work of redemption for us. And just as we are, we have nothing to do with God's work of creation, so we have nothing to do with our redemption. It's not of works, not of our works. Creation is all God's work. Redemption is all God's work. Ours to enjoy by faith. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from God. They were cast out of Eden. Cherubim, flaming cherubim, cherubim with flaming swords barred the way. But when Jesus died on Calvary, the veil of that temple, which, by the way, was embroidered with cherubims on it, that veil which blocked the way to God, angels blocking the way to God, that veil was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. The way was open. Reconciliation with God is possible for all because of what Jesus did. What Adam lost, Jesus has regained. But we have to respond in faith. Come unto me, Jesus says. It's an invitation. We have to respond to that call. We have to come to him in faith. Book of Hebrews, chapter four, emphasizes. I've done something. Sorry about that. The book of Hebrews, chapter four, emphasizes this very, very vital ingredient of faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a rest for us that is benefiting from. The work of Christ for us, the battles that Christ has fought and won for us, there is a rest, just like there was a rest in the land of Canaan for them. So there is a rest for the Christian. The book of Hebrews tells us about this. And he recalls Israel's history and he makes the point that the first attempt to enter into the promised land and gain that rest, they missed it because they did not believe what God has said. They didn't respond in faith. They didn't take God at his word. They didn't trust God. They didn't have faith. And the writer of the Hebrews looks at that and he warns us. He warns people who come to Jesus, come right up to Jesus, but fail to respond to Jesus in faith, fail to trust his word. And failure to trust his word and to move forward in faith results in a failure to enter into this promised rest. The message is that you too, we too, you too will miss out on this promised rest if we don't respond in faith. Mere intellectual belief in Jesus will not bring rest to your soul. Acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, acknowledging that he is the Saviour of the world will not bring rest to your soul. Trusting in him is what brings rest to your soul. True faith is belief plus trust. When you truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, rest comes to you because accepting him as your saviour, he deals with your sin. The burden, the guilt, the shame of sin is gone. You can rest from your works, resting in the finished work of Christ, your creator and your redeemer. The hymn writer said, In Christ redeemed by Christ restored. Enjoying the rest that God has intended. Spiritual life and vitality that comes from being restored to relationship, fellowship, communion with God. 
<clears throat> the Christian can rest in Christ and his work, in Christ and his victory. And we'll make this our final point. The Christian's rest is in Christ and Christ alone, the work of Christ for our salvation. Jesus, I am resting, resting. In the joy of what thou art, I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bids me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul for thy, by thy transforming power. Thou hast made me whole. The Christian rest in Christ is moment by moment. Because the hymn writer <clears throat> reflected on that moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment I've life from above, looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Few have <clears throat> lived as stressful a life probably than Hudson Taylor did, the founder of the China Inland Mission. But Hudson Taylor lived in God's rest moment by moment, as his son so beautifully attests, and I quote, what his son said of his father he says day and night this was his secret just to roll the burden onto the lord frequently those that were wakeful in the little house at ching chai might hear at two or three in the morning the soft refrain of mr taylor's favorite hymn jesus i am resting resting he'd learned that for him only one life was possible just that blessed life of resting and rejoicing in the Lord under all circumstances, while he, that's the Lord, dealt with the difficulties, inward and outward, great and small. Brethren, it is possible to live a, a busy, a harried life under the, the responsibilities of work or the, the, the burdens of ministry, and yet to be resting, resting, Perpetual resting in the Lord, moment by moment. Then there is also daily rest, which is also an important factor for the Christian. It has been said that most people in the world are being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday or the worries about tomorrow. And both of them can steal away our peace, our joy and our rest. But the Christian who is resting in Christ doesn't have to worry about yesterday's confessed sins. They're all forgiven. And doesn't have to worry about tomorrow's problems because the Lord has all of that under control. Psalm 4 verse 8 tells us at the end of each day, I'll both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. The Lord gives his beloved sleep, rest each day. Moment by moment, daily, weekly. Question. Does the Sabbath principle still apply to the New Testament era? The Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, became a sign of God's covenant with the nation of Israel, just like circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with the nation of Israel. The church is not Israel. We are under not an old covenant, a Mosaic covenant, we are under a new covenant, the new covenant. And now that the church, in the church age, we're under the new covenant, a principle still applies. That is this, that a day is to be set aside for God. But the day which is set aside has changed. 
from the seventh day of the week to the Lord's day, being the first day of the week, a day which is a memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the event that publicly sealed our redemption, established the new covenant. This is the sign of new covenant people. Yes, the principle still applies. After all, the sabbatical concept was fundamentally part of the inspired record of creation. This is the, work, the way the Lord set the world up. And if we as made in the image and likeness of God, and he rested on the seventh day and set that day aside for us in the expectation that he would have fellowship with us, and we who are made in the image and likeness of God should mirror him in this respect too. As even as he desires our fellowship with us, we should desire to have fellowship with him. Now we know that Israel misused and misapplied the Sabbath day. They over-legalized it. And I wonder if we in the New Testament era don't have some <clears throat> pharisaical robes of our, ourselves that we perhaps need to discard. Think about Mary and Martha. So much work, so much work, so much work, so much work, so much work. The other one sitting at Jesus' feet. And for us it can be very easy for us to turn the Sunday, Sunday, the Lord's Day, into so much work, so much work, so much work, so much work. All for the Lord, of course, that we neglect the most needful thing, that is to be at his feet with him fellowshipping with him, communing with him, loving him. This is the place, this is the benefit, this is the blessing which shall not be taken away. What about eternally? Of course, there is a future rest for us in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord, which is far better, eternal rest, forever joyous, forever satisfied, Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, set the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours, and their works do follow them. Everything done for Christ in his name, for his glory, everything done to others in the name of the Lord, for his glory will be rewarded. Every kindness, every sacrificial gift, every prayer, every tear, every word of testimony. God sees it all. He's, he's counting it all up. He will reward ultimately in heaven. <clears throat> Do you, are you assured of heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ as your saviour? Are you assured of eternal life? Today, Jesus Christ, your creator and your redeemer says, he says, come unto me. All ye that labour and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, for ye shall find rest unto your souls. The Lord's Day is a great day to learn about the Lord. And it just so happens that you are here today on the Lord's Day learning about the Lord. This is a good thing, a needful thing. And perhaps the thing that you're learning about the Lord today is not just the fact that he is your creator, but he is, he is your redeemer. You have no hope of salvation except for Christ. Augustine said, and he was right, thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they... Find their rest in thee. He knew this from personal experience. That life apart from Christ is striving. 
And men and women and young people will remain restless regardless of what they attain or obtain in this world. They'll never find true rest apart from redemption in Jesus Christ. But when you come to Christ, when you accept him as your saviour, when you trust in him as your only hope of salvation, you will find rest for your soul, moment by moment and eternally. Here's a question to conclude with this morning. Will you come in faith to Jesus Christ today? Will you come to Jesus Christ today believing in him and trusting in him? I pray that you will. Let's conclude in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your creative work. Lord, thank you for your purpose and design in creating, setting aside the seventh day. Special day for you, a blessing for us. Thank you that you desire fellowship with us. And Lord, I want to thank you for the folk who gathered today uh, to honour you on this, your special day, to receive a blessing ourselves to be able to meet with you in worship this morning. Father, I do pray that as, as we spend time with you each Lord's Day, that we would continue to grow in our growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray for anyone here, who, uh, here today who does not yet know Christ as their Saviour. pray that you open their eyes, help them to see that Jesus Christ is their only hope of salvation. Without him, they will be restless throughout life, loss for all eternity. So, Lord, open their eyes, help them to see that Jesus is the saviour that they need, the saviour that you have graciously provided. Lord, I pray that uh, uh, you turn, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and know that things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, help us to keep everything in its right perspective. Thank you for the emphasis that this day provides for us. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.